Welcome to episode 18 of Disky Discussions. I'm your host, A.B. Basson. I'm joined by Braden Proctor, South African-born football agent, lives and works in England. We discuss how Brexit paved the way for Percy Tau, football agent myths, the value behind moving to Europe at a young age, and what South African footballers need to do to forge a successful career abroad. Stay tuned for that and a lot, lot more. Braden, thanks for joining me on Disky Discussions. Uh, it's great to have another South African based in England on the podcast. Uh, obviously, you're an agent over there. Tell us a bit about your, your past. Um, you obviously grew up in South Africa. Uh, why did you decide to go to England? Hi, Abi. Um, thanks for having me on. And um, so, yeah, my passion's always been football and football in South Africa in particular. Grew up in, in Johannesburg, lived a bit in the Eastern Cape as well. Um, and then moved over to, to the UK to further my education and potential opportunities. So I studied there and then went to university in London to study sports law and football business, just to give myself a bit of more insight into, into the game and into the sport, um, and kind of qualify myself to, to be in the best position possible. But, uh, yeah, my heart and my, my passion always lies within, within South African football and, Hopefully, it's uh, the development of the game in the in the country. So, yeah, that's that's sort of the the brief synopsis for now. I see the Jabulani ball there behind you. I think um, obviously South African link is still still strong within you. Do you follow the South African game at all? Uh, DSTV Premiership. Um, do you have any? Um, I mean, it's as journalists and, and agents, we can probably not classify who we support. But um, growing up, was there a specific player or team that you you followed? <laughs> Well, that's a that's a difficult one to say. In terms of the the national team, uh, I of course always follow them. You know, no matter how good or bad they they are playing, um, I'll always find a stream somewhere, no matter where I am in the world, to follow the national team. Um, and that goes right down to to under seventeen as well. I remember uh, having to watch the Gauteng Future Champs skipping out of class to go and stream that on on YouTube um, back in the day, and also watching under seventeen and under twenty Afcon. Um, and then up right until the national team as well. The Premier League, the DSTV Premier League, unfortunately, I don't follow too much. Um, the games aren't as accessible over here. I did, however, manage to catch the uh, final game of last season when Chiefs threw it away. I was actually out in Spain watching it. So, yeah, really shocked at that one. But I, I don't have a, a strong affiliation necessarily. Like, because when any team, any South African team plays on, on a continental level, uh, I kind of put my affiliations and my loyalties to one side to support whichever team's playing and representing the country. So try and look at it from a, from a bigger picture. Yeah, it's a, way, a diplomatic way of putting things. Uh, you, yeah. have, you, <laughs> have you always wanted to become an agent? Um, I think the journey to becoming an agent is is a question I'd like us to, to delve into. Um, there's a lot of people out there that I'm sure that are very interested in in, in becoming a football agent, and we can t- we can talk about the, the the less glamorous side and the glamorous side of it uh, further into the podcast. But how did you go about becoming an agent, and and was it a difficult course to pursue? Um, so when I was about, you know, I think everyone who who kind of has a passion and a following for football, we all have dreams of of making it bigger, but there's a certain point in your in your teenage years where you have to be realistic with yourself. And, um, you know, I had to have a conversation with myself that I wasn't going to make it as to a higher level as I wanted to. So how can I help and impact people in a positive way from a different perspective, though? 
And um, agent, I think I was about 16, 17. And, and this was sort of a, a field and industry that really, really interested me. I was interested in the business side and the legal side of football as well. So, um, yeah, I was just contacting a lot of the, the biggest African agencies at the time, just speaking to them. And then um, obviously when I was in England, I followed a course that strongly aligned sports law, strongly aligned to all the regulations of agency. There used to be an exam. Um, so you have, used to have to be a FIFA licensed agent. The exam was really difficult, really um, low pass rate. Uh, that all changed in 2015 when FIFA deregulated. So they basically handed the regulations um, down on a, to a national association level. So now agents just register with their football association. So I'm registered with the, the English FA. There's no test or anything anymore, although that could potentially change going forward as FIFA's re-looking really into it. But um, yeah, I've always wanted wanted to help people and be on the positive side. And, and an agent's just merely an intermediary, which is actually what we're, what we're termed now, um, an intermediary that exists to supply and demand of, of labour and football and to make sure that that supply is met. Um, yeah, it's not as glamorous as, as people think. There's good and there's bad uh, towards that, but yeah, happy to to sort of help. And, and I do keep in contact with a lot of younger agents as well who want to come into the game um, to pass on advice, to share knowledge, uh, anything that we can. I think before the podcast, you, you referred to agents as being the necessary evil in the fact that a lot of people see agents as a negative side or just trying to exploit players or clubs. Um, obviously, we just see, or as fans, we just see, you know, the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Uh, tell me a bit more about how important agents are in brokering deals and, and what important player um, part they play in, you know, for clubs and for players uh, getting the money they they rightfully deserve. Right. So um, it is it is just to ensure that labour within football supply and demand is met. So you speak to to clubs and they say that's where the the sort of term necessary evil comes in because they are we as agents are fluid in the game. That's necessary to to help facilitate the transfer market to facilitate clubs with their recruitment. I think it gets a lot of bad press because if you say like the tip of the iceberg is the only bits we see in the media as football fans, maybe. So individual agents earning commissions of millions of, of pounds, say, for example, which is not necessarily always the case. And obviously because fans have a emotional attachment to the game when they see money leaving the game, you know, it's, it's not in the best picture, but people who kind of look into football and understand it, it is something that's, that's needed and it's facilitated in the free market. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I th- and the thing is, another myth, I think, is, uh, you know, I think a lot of agents see or portray that they work against each other almost, in a sense. Um, do you think the agents should be working together um, especially in brokering, you know, cross-continental deals. Um, and how beneficial can that be? Uh, very, very beneficial. It's, it's sort of in any business setting that negotiations are key and having partnerships in different strategic areas is is so key. And that's how you grow. You know, you can't do everything by yourself. If you work with someone, you know, that's double the effort. That's two people working towards a common goal. They're going to put all their efforts and all their energies into making something happen. Maybe there's a negative perception around the word agents because of the, the commission. But at the end of the day, if players are happy to to pay the commissions because their agents do get them the best deals, I think that's what we should take into account. So the word agent is is never a great perception as well. That's why probably they've termed us intermediaries now. But um, 
in terms of, of partnerships and that, I think it's really key, especially since um, how we were saying about how FIFA deregulated it. Now it belongs, you have to register with individual associations. So for me, based in England, uh, the UK is sort of my mandate and my remit, but we could have a partner in, in Belgium. And obviously I can't be, you know, too many places at one time. We actually have a strategic office in Spain, in Valencia as well. So I spent um, a bit of last year out there as well, working with our partners and colleagues out there. But um, yeah, it is hugely important because, you know, they have, they can foster different relationships with clubs out there. Um, you might have a, a partnership in, in South Africa or in Ghana or somewhere because they can, they're able to, to recruit um, better. You know, you can't be out recruiting in, in Ghana and then you can't, you know, fly and, and foster a relationship with the club out in Norway, for example, because relationship building takes time and a lot of effort. So it's definitely better if people, you know, sort of collaborate and put all their, their efforts and energies towards the same common goal. I think people will get a lot further. Um, and that's just my way of looking at it. I think some people would agree, some people would disagree. But I think if there's a joint effort towards a project, you know, and obviously there's going to be a a share of of the take, if you will. But um, you know, if with that joint effort, there's often more to take at the end of the day. And also with the thing with partnerships, it has more longevity and sustainability within it. You know, it can go on for years and years. Whereas if you're trying to do everything by yourself, you you'll be exhausted. We're going to talk a bit about Percy Tau and Brexit a bit later. Um, I would just like to know, I mean, there's probably a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that don't know how a deal is brokered. So say now, for example, player Club X is interested in player Y. Um, where does the agent come into play and, and, and how big a role do you guys play in making sure the transfer goes through in terms of you know the contract, the transfer fee, um, specific clauses? I mean... You know, I think just to come back to the glamorous point of view, I don't think people understand how much paperwork there is in all of this probably. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of admin, so to speak. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm grateful for my, um, the, the sort of degree that I studied as well. It gave me a really, really good insight into the regulatory and administrative side of it as well, which is huge. A large part of it is obviously relationship building, but there's a lot of behind the scenes, um, paperwork that's involved and this is why i sort of would encourage or welcome fifa reintroducing an exam just because it ensures a bit of competency as well as people entering the market because right now the barriers are down so anyone can just you know pay a fee and, and register as an agent and some people's intentions might not align with the players or might not be morally correct but um yeah in terms of paperwork there's a there's a lot and there's a lot behind it that's maybe a bit on the boring side so the interesting stuff about the transfers is um, legally clubs can't speak to another player who's contracted to another club because um, this will be sort of classed as tapping up and a breach. So they use the agents to to kind of just see if the player is potentially interested and if the club is willing to, to sell that player, if there is a deal to be done. And, um, you know, clubs have a lot of day-to-day ranks that they have to deal with as well. So having, again, um, agents that they can trust and they can work with you know, it helps spread the load as well. And and they might have different connections or industry relationships that could make things more of a smooth and efficient process. Um, so they, you know, could could ask you to give you like um, a sort of remit of what they're looking for, or if there's a particular player that they've eyed out and they know you have good ties with that club, 
you can speak to that club, see if they are first of all interested in in you know opening negotiations with with that club about that player. So there's always sort of two deals that happen. It's first of all club to club. So the clubs have to agree on a fee for the player. Then once that's all agreed, although this normally happens sort of in parallel with it, then it will be the new club to the player that has to agree terms. And that's where all the fees and the clauses will come in. In the Premier League, it's really standard. There's a standard uh, Premier League contract. So most players sign the same contract. Obviously, all the uh, there's a few different clauses and schedules at the end, which just has different information pertaining to, to their fees and maybe... Uh, squad win bonuses and that sort of thing, but all their image rights and, and that is covered in this contract. So yeah, first of all, it has to go from club to club to agree. And then, then it will go from new club to player to agree terms and work out all their wonderful clauses. Um, and between club to club, it's interesting, actually, the the notion of a salon fee, um, you know, that could strategically be used to a good advantage, especially for undervalued Clubs and players who might not, who could look better in the future, rather than trying to, you know, just grab everything at the moment and take a short-term view on a player, maybe accept lower money but a higher sell-on for the future, and that's the way I think that clubs, particularly in in Africa and South Africa, um, specifically, could better use the transfer market mm-hmm. and become maybe more of an export league. Because yeah, I'm sure we'll get onto this about um, South African players coming abroad, yeah, but. Um, yeah, for, for Percy, it's really, really exciting. I'm sure everyone everyone is as excited as I am to see to see a South African in the Premier League. Finally, it's been it's been a long wait. A long wait. Yeah, before we get on to Percy, you, you touched on buyout clauses there. And I think it's something we see quite prominently in Spain and you being based there, uh, you know, for a few months or a few weeks a year. Um, how does a buyout clause exactly work? And yeah, maybe just elaborate on the salon fee. Like, is there... Is there a percentage at clubs? How does it work exactly? Just for you know, for us outdated and understand how these things uh, work exactly. Yeah, of course. So um, when a player is contracted to a club, say they have a three-year contract, within that three years, they can only move because the club holds a player's registration. That's essentially what the contract is. So they have that player registered to them for three years. So in that three-year period, the only way that they could join another club, apart from loans, of course, is when that during that three-year window is for another club to buy the player's registration. And um, often clubs will protect their players by adding um, buyout clauses. So if a certain amount is usually higher than what the club initially values the player at, yeah. say it's, let's say, for example, 20 million pounds, once the club um, offers that, then they'll be enabled to to begin negotiations with that player to buy out the registration fees. Uh, in Spain, it works in a slightly different way that the players technically have to buy themselves out of the contract, and some of their their um, their fees are, are crazy, ridiculous money. So, say it's this is a low figure for a, for a good player. It's a hundred million. The player himself would actually have to pay that, but often it would be funded by the buying club through the player okay. um, to buy him out of his registration so that he's able to register with the new club because else the player would have to wait till the end of his three years. Uh, then he becomes a free agent where he can join the club he chooses. Okay, very interesting. And without, so- any, without any transfer fee uh, attached to it, of course. 
Yeah, and, and salon fee, um, how does that work? I think everyone that plays FIFA will know about a salon fee, but how does it work in the real world? Um, fairly similar. You'll be surprised, actually. The uh, FIFA developers have, <laughs> have done a pretty good job. Um, yeah, it's just, a, it's just another sort of economic tool that clubs use um, to help finance deals as well, because deals, for, for one, they're never paid as we see them. So say a player transfers for 50 million, it will usually be half of that on the day the player signs or that the deal's negotiated. And then the rest will normally be paid in installments throughout the duration of the contract. So that's just one way clubs finance deals. But then to help, like I say, add an economic tool to it, um, and it's usually used for clubs in, say, we call them like holding countries or gateway or stepping stone countries, say Belgium, for example. Yeah. A club in Belgium will buy a player from, let's say a club in South Africa. And then the the club in South Africa, maybe if they, they had their thinking hats on, they could see, they might value the player differently to what the club in, in Belgium wants to wants to pay for the player. But they also know they, they need the money right now. So they'll sell the player to Belgium for 1 million and then add a 20% selling clause on the future fee. So when that player is never going to spend his entire career in Belgium because, you know, he wants to move on to, say, the Premier League. So then that club, I'm trying to think of an easy example for maths because I'm not great at Say the Belgian club sells him to the Premier League for 10 million. Then the South African club will get 20% of that 20 million sale fee. Okay. Minus a few additional costs in that, but that's the simplicity of it. So it's 20% of a future fee. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's that's quite... Which in, in turn takes the value because the, the South African club was never going to get, say, 3 million for the player straight away. Yeah. So they sell him for a million. And then maybe two, three years down the line, when the Belgian club sells him on, the Belgian club sells him for, for 10 million to the Premier League. And then 20% of that will go to his original club, the South African club. So, you know, in the long term, it's, it kind of makes sense if you see the potential and the value in your player. Yeah. And this is something I actually studied at, um, you know, I did a, a lot of research into this and, and created a whole report while I was at university interviewing players, clubs, agents, um, sports lawyers, about future inv um, financial investment in potential growth. And this is a sort of, there's a football ecosystem and clubs in Europe understand their position in the ecosystem. So clubs in Norway and Sweden and Denmark and even Portugal, let's say, they know they're not going to win the Champions League and compete at the highest level. So they know they have to recruit undervalued talent. So they'll scout in Ghana, wish more in South Africa, but let's say, let's say they scout in Ghana. They'll sell, um, purchase a player for 500,000 or even less sometimes in the hope of making a potential return on that player when they sell him to a club in Belgium. Yeah, I think and, then, that, and so forth, so forth. Yeah, I think a good example of that is um, the way uh, Leipzig and Salzburg do business. I mean, if you look at Salzburg, they, they, usually, they also have a feeder club within uh, Austria, right? Which that and that I think it's called Liefering and that club, they yes. yeah they get talent from Africa. So it's almost like this, like you say, like you use the term a stepping stone club in the end. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's what the uh, the sort of the focus is. Sorry, just to touch on that, um, Salzburg will scout players in Africa, so they've got a quite a large African contingent in Patsendaka, Suikukata, uh, Enoch and Wepu. They'll come over to to Austria 
But to acclimatise to European football, because it's really different, they'll go to the second division in Austria to their feeder club, Liefering. Yeah. And then, you know, the in principle, the aim is for Salzburg to sell them on to Leipzig. But just, just, sorry, just to touch on a, a good example of a player moving to different gateway um, holding countries to get into a first division is a young Senegalese player called Crependiata. Hmm. So he did well. At, I don't know if it was the under 18 or under 20 AFCON. He did really, really well. And he went to to Norway to a team called Sarpsborg, I think. Um, so, you know, he would have been not really noticed going to Norway, nothing major, nothing extravagant. I think he got player of the season in Norway. He transfers to Club Bruges in Belgium, has a really, really good, good time there, obviously playing with Percy as well. And then recently they've sold him on to Monaco in France. So that's just sort of the, the path that players take because coming straight from Africa to a top five league is is not impossible, but it's really difficult for one coming from the standard of, of African football and then making that jump into the Premier League. That's that's not impossible. Yeah. Um, so and if the Norwegian if the Norwegian club played their cards right, they'll have a salon clause and, and you know that's how the cycle works in the end of the day. Yeah. So that's and the, I'm sure they would have definitely definitely had that in negotiating the contract when he moved on to Bruce. So when Bruce subsequently sold him to Monaco I'm sure that Norwegian club would have received a fee for that as well. Yeah, that's all very interesting. Is there any like interesting clauses you've seen in contracts over the years? I mean, uh, I've always watched these YouTube videos where they talk about, you know, a guy had an interesting clause about the, I'm um, just using a, a stupid one, but, you know, he was a certain number of flights home a year or, you know, if he scores this amount of goals, then he gets a new car or whatever. Is there are these clauses real or, and how prevalent are they in contracts in, uh, in today's world? Yeah, they, they are real. Um, so the, the flying home one is, is common. They'll give them, I think, say for example, four. Um, sometimes the, the clubs are a bit selfish and only give them economy class tickets okay. to use throughout a, a period. Um, but yeah, clauses can range from anything, absolutely anything, um, that you'd like to include in it. But yeah, the, the common ones is again, flights home, um, not being able to participate in sort of extreme sports or um, some of them even like playing leisurely football outside of, of your club. Um, they don't permit that, you know, in the case of injuries, some players aren't allowed to snowboard um, and all those sort of things. It's crazy. And that again just comes to whoever has more power, where it's the club who has more power to insert those clauses to restrict the player from doing a lot of things they maybe should or shouldn't do. Okay. Yeah, that's all very interesting. Let's but talk there about is, yeah, there is a few wacky clauses in there. Yeah, well, maybe we'll touch on that um in another podcast. Maybe we should shift focus to, to Percy Tao. I think a lot of people listening to Disky discussions would, you know, I'd love to know exactly how Percy's move happened considering, you know, I think, you know, for myself, you know, I didn't think it was quite ironic that, um, you know, Brexit played a part in Percy coming to, to Brighton. Um, how exactly does that, did that, that happen? And, you know, what value have you seen in Percy's move there? Obviously he hasn't played as much as we'd like, but do you see a future for him in the Premier League? Um, maybe not in the Premier League, you know, at Brighton, maybe somewhere else, but um, obviously very excited to see a South African, a fellow South African in England. Yeah, it's it's always exciting. And, um, you know, I still get pure joy when I see a South African come abroad to to Europe. So when they come, you know, to to the Premier League, you know, sort of 
down the road um, at Brighton. It's really exciting. Just hopefully I get the opportunity to go watch him do his thing in the Premier League. Because like I say, touching on, on players that are based abroad, it's exciting and it's exciting for our national team as well. Um, just to to quickly, sorry, touch on, there's um, a few players based abroad. Uh, Keggs Chauke, who's at Southampton and Sia Ligenza, who's at Cardiff. Um, I went to go sort of scout these boys when they were, you know, uh, young, just so that the rest of the South African population can see them and can follow them as well. Yeah. Because it brings great excitement. But Percy's obviously the main one because he's a stalwart in the national team. So um, to see him come to to the Premier League is really exciting. But um, I'd hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I don't think it's going to open a, a doorway for more South Africans to sort of flood the English market. Um so just to quickly touch on how international transfers work very quickly, there's a clause, um, FIFA Article 19 prohibits the transfer of minors. So players under the age of 18 can't move abroad to another national association, uh, to another club in a different association. There was exemptions to this. One of them was players between the ages of 16 and 18 could move abroad if their countries and clubs belonged in the European Union. So this has sort of fallen away. Obviously, with with England leaving the European Union, this has come away. And then to touch on a on a senior level, it's not really going to open a gateway for South Africans because there's still a lot of restrictions and requirements. A lot of the lawyers are still trying to get their head around it. I'm still trying to get my head around it as well. But in essence, the previous regulations was if your um, country was ranked in the top 50, you know, it was a lot, a lot easier to get into the national, um, sorry, to qualify for a GBE, which is a governing body endorsement, a lot easier. With South Africa being ranked 72 or 71, I'm not sure where it is, they would have to have played, I think, over 75% over a 24-month period. This has now changed, though, but it's actually made it more difficult for South Africans to come abroad. So basically, there was a, a whole weighing up of commercial interest between the Premier League, the Football Association and the Home Office who deals with immigration and work permits into England. The Premier League, for one, their commercial interest is to have the best players in the league. The FA wants to focus on homegrown talent and then the Home Office who has the power and the authority over both because they deal with the ins and outs and border control. One only talented workers who can raise the level of the the country so in the, and their profession so in this case football so there was sort of a balancing act and, and all of those sort of um authorities trying to get their propositions opposed and find a balance and they've come to this sort of balance that is again ruled by the home office um the new gbe which is a points-based system so players need 15 points i think it is to qualify automatically qualify for a work permit to play in england um, if your country is ranked from one to 10 and you play, I think 30% of those games for the national team, you automatically get it. Um, and then it kind of moves up on a staggering level. So I think 11 to 20 is 40% of games for your national team over a 24 month period. Then there's different bandings. So if your club is in band one, which is the top five league, you get 12 points. If your club plays champions league, you get a certain amount of points. So I think the case with Percy, uh, which was actually interesting, when he first moved to to Europe, um, he played second division in Belgium. 
So this is kind of twofold because on the one hand, it helps him to acclimatize to living in Europe and getting used to European football, not the highest standard, but he can kind of phase himself in. On the other hand, at the time, under the old regulations, this wouldn't have helped him at all to to get into to England. It wouldn't have contributed to the points. But maybe you could look at it in hindsight and say it kind of worked out because he did well there. He went to Bruges. He did really well. He played in the Champions League, which would have happened over the past 24 months. So under the new regulations, it has helped him in that sense that he's played Champions League and Belgium is banned too, I think. So that would have been a certain amount of points. And then it's now shifted. So the for South Africans, as they're ranked outside of the top 50 on the FIFA rankings, I believe they have to play like 90% of the available games for the national team. So this has really, really made it more difficult for South Africans coming into the Premier League. So like I say, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's not going to be an influx on South Africans coming into the Premier League for the foreseeable future. And Percy's kind of an exception to this because he did really well in Belgium. He plays a lot of games for the national teams. Um, Previously, there was an exceptions panel. So you could argue the case um, in front of a panel for a work permit, a governing body endorsement. And this would be things also including the wage of the player would have to be in a certain percentile and his transfer fee would have to be in a certain percentile to show that he can add value to the league, which is in the interest of the Premier League. The only people who are this this new regulations is really going to benefit, how I see it, is Latin American countries and players. Okay. Yeah, that's that's all and very... Yeah, yeah. Carry on. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to try and make it as as sort of straightforward, and hopefully, I'm yeah, not it's going very, to. No, it's very interesting. Tangents. Yeah, please carry on. So, um, under the the European Union, there was free movement of labour, so players could come into England as and when they wanted, uh, essentially, no matter how good footballers they were. Um, so this was easier for for clubs to recruit European players because the paperwork and the administrative side was less of a headache. It was so much easier to get players. And this is going to affect... So, sorry, now with with Brexit, there's no more that um, free movement of labour. So now clubs don't necessarily have to look at a French player or at a um, a Portuguese player, for example. They can look abroad because everyone's kind of under the same umbrella of these new uh, criteria of 15 points for for the governing body endorsement whether you're from Colombia or if you're from France, you still have to fall under the same bracket now. And this is going to affect clubs like um, Brentford, who have a really strong recruitment model on undervalued talent. Um, they're unable to to just sign players. They signed a French player called Brian Mwemu. They wouldn't be able to sign him now because he wouldn't qualify because he was playing second division in France and he barely played for the national team or the youth national team. So his points wouldn't have qualified whereas you look at the South American teams a lot of them fall in the top 20 or the top 30 even FIFA ranked countries so now for them for them to qualify they just have to play a certain amount of games for their national team and even if they play in their continental competition the uh, Copa Libertadores suddenly they automatically qualify so I think there's going to be a lot more influx of South American players coming straight into England, which wasn't necessarily the case. Brazilian players would often go to Portugal. Uh, Colombian players would often go elsewhere, even to to Belgium or to Spain before they made that step into England. Now, 
they can come with the work permit straight into England because the new criteria benefits Latin American countries far more than it benefits African countries. African countries that could potentially, I think that just fall in the cusp of the top 50 is maybe your Senegal's, Nigeria's, Algeria. Uh, Ghana, I think, is even just teeters on the cusp of the top 50. But to to make it short and concise, if you're in the top 30, your national team sort of aggregated over a period and you play a certain amount of games. So 1 to 10 in the FIFA rankings is 30% of national team games. 11 to 20 ranked is 40% and 21 to 30 is 60% of your national team games then you automatically qualify to come and play in the Premier League. So for South African players, they have to play 90% of their games over a 24-year period. Yeah, and that doesn't even automatically qualify them. So realistically, for South African players, not to burst anyone's bubble, but they have to go into a stepping stone country to, to your Portugals, your Belgians, and even sometimes less than that to your Czech Republics or your Poland so that you can make a step into an actual stepping stone country. So, you know, if if England and the Premier League is the goal, which maybe it should be because arguably the best league in the world, you have to understand that your pathway is different to that if you're Colombian or Argentinian, for example. And that again comes down to our national team. So, you know, that could all change in a couple of years if with Vision 2022 and we do really well in some aspects, but we really, really need to break into the top 50 to give our players a chance of, of playing at the best leagues in the world. But the the route into Spain is also an interesting one because they have what's called the Cotuna Agreement. So in Spain, they have um, a quota on non-EU players, which I think is five. But because of the Cotuna Agreement, many of the African countries don't actually qualify against the quota. So they won't make up spots where South American players do. So for instance, if um, Atletico Madrid have one more non-EU spot and they are looking between uh, an Argentinian and a Ghanaian and they are sort of same similar play style, the Ghanaian, if I'm correct in saying that Ghana is a signatory to the Katuna Agreement, they'll sign him because he won't take up that spot as well, whereas the Argentinian player would take up the spot. So personally, I think Spain and La Liga is is potentially a better route um, for our players, maybe because the play style could be similar as well. You know, our players are are tactically good. Um, They have the technical ability. So the Premier League in England is a very physical league. As we've seen with Percy, you know, he played in the FA Cup at Newport, which is probably one of the worst pitches. pitches yeah. um, and then I think, yeah, straight after that, he he start, he's played against Manchester City and he actually did quite well in that game. You know, he didn't, he didn't set the pitch on fire, but you could see something there. And I think a lot of Brighton fans can see something in Percy, but we have to understand also like as football fans, we want to obviously see Percy play. We want to support him, but we have to understand Brighton's position and the financial implications. They are fighting relegation. Yeah. It's not clear that they're safe. So they, you know, can't really blood in a new player just for the benefit of South African fans. They have to win games and survive. And I think Percy is adjusting to the league still. Um, I really wish he came to Europe younger. I really wish because he would have acclimatized quicker, phased himself in quicker. But he's going to be 27 this year. So 
Yeah, I think I think he's got the mentality and the ability to prove a point, though. But just wish it all happened a bit earlier in his career. But nevertheless, still exciting to see him walk out with the team. You know, with the the Premier League on his sleeve. Yeah. It just yeah, it's it's really good. We haven't really had that in a while, have we? No, no, not in a few years. Yeah, it's very interesting and something to keep an eye on, especially, you know, if more Africans potentially moving to La Liga, obviously a very strong league in itself. And and maybe, you know, the, the end of the day is this This is all a journey. And if you want to get to the end goal, you have to take sacrifices. And I think that's yeah. what a lot of players need to understand. Um, if we could just quickly, you, you mentioned Chauke there from Southampton. Um, he was in the South African news over the last bit. Um what have you made of him? I think as South African viewers, we haven't seen much of him. Uh, he's been on the bench, I think, a few times for Southampton. Um, to be honest, he's only really come into the spotlight uh, from a South African perspective over the last year or two or so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if we can't get into to England in, 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 you know, this long way, maybe the best way is for them to go over as newborns. <laughs> um, what, did, what do you make of Choke? And, you know, do you see a future for him? in the Premier League. Yeah, so um like I say it's good to see to see players at the top level and um a lot of the players are doing it in a in a different way because many people perhaps thought that he, you know, that Southampton recruited him from South Africa or whatever the case. But no, he moved there when he was young um with his family. He grew up there and joined the academy just like any other player um who grows up in England who's good at football, they'll get recruited. And they'll move into the academy system. So it's just something that, that I love doing as well. Um, you know, in-depth research into players who are eligible for our, for our national team. I remember I always used to do it to find players um, who could play for, for our national team one day. Nicola Tavares. There was Sif Madulose at Southampton as well. Um, you have a player at Leicester as well in Kanya, Lechebella. Yeah. Um, so Kegs as well. I remember just because my... Usual, you asked me earlier, my day-to-day, obviously it's really different now in COVID, um, but previously would be attending matches, probably four or five matches a week, um, and then a lot of meetings and research. So I was doing research into the the clubs and I came across this name and you just, you know, you have a feeling like no, there's, there's something here. So I went down to a Southampton game. He was actually playing up in age level, which in England is a really good sign that the player is promising. So he was 17 and he was playing for the under 23s, which is a really, really strong sign. Um, so went went down there, you know, he had a lot of ability, um, spoke to his dad, um, and and his dad obviously has strong affiliations to to South Africa. But yeah, Kegs is a really exciting player because obviously he's been cultivated and educated at Southampton, which is you know quite well renowned in England. They're classed as category one academy. So they have the best coaches and the best facilities. And even though he's not playing, which I would be surprised if he was playing because he's, he's just turned 18, I believe, um, for him to be in the match day squad, that's a lot of experience for a player as well. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we should get too ahead of ourselves as South African, you know, like we celebrate like when he's on the, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> celebrate when he's on the bench, which is obviously, you know, the first time it happened. Was it against Liverpool? I think he made the bench. And yeah, I think it was. It's a huge achievement, obviously, but... For one, the, the squads are, are increased because of the COVID restrictions. So, And if you see on Southampton's bench, they have a lot of youngsters. Um, and he's only 18, so they still need to protect him. You know, They can't just throw him into the team. And Southampton as well are fighting for, for points. 
But yeah, he's a really, really gifted player. Really gifted player. He has a strong South African physical features. You know, he's, he can run for days. He's quick. He's quite tall for his age as well, which I think is beneficial. So he's got a good frame. But um, on the ball, he's very, very good. Very talented player. Technically um, astute and proficient. He's he's tactically malleable, so they can play him in a, in a variety of different positions. Um, but I don't think there's going to be a, a rush to to get him integrated into the team soon, which is something that I wish we could see. But um, you know, you have to understand he he gets the opportunity because he got caught up to England eight under 18s. He has the opportunity to go and train with the best players in that age group in the country, and that is a high high level because the players that England are producing is is on another level. True, and he gets to go on an international break and go train at St. George's Park, which is world-class facilities. You know, you, you you can't blame him. You really can't blame him. At this age group, maybe you could argue going forward that spaces in the England national team is going to be limited, which they potentially are. And I think he will, at some point, maybe even at under-20 level, um, start integrating with South Africa if they want him, which they should do. It wouldn't make sense why they wouldn't. But where he is now it makes more sense for him to train and play with England under 18s at a world-class facility. He'll play against top European opposition. You know, he'll play against the Spains, the best players in, in those age groups. Uh, he has to do it. He's going to work with the best coaches. He's still 18. There's no need to to rush him or put too much pressure on him yeah. at all. No, 100%. But um, yeah, he is definitely one to keep an eye out for. And, and now that he's sort of been integrated, he's at that age where he could actually go on loan next season or definitely the season after. He's played under-23s football and in England, under-23s football kind of has a ceiling. If you play three seasons of it, you kind of uh, stagnate, you kind of plateau. There's nowhere really to go. You need to go play men's football. That helps you grow. So hopefully that's the path for him. Yeah, most definitely one to keep an eye on. I think, you know, if we can maybe just close off um, on, on the note of you know, South African players at what age they should try and, you know, move over to European football. I know, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, we, we hammer, you know, on the, on the topic quite a bit and, and for good reason, I feel. Um, and there are, there are reasons why players are reluctant to go overseas. Obviously they get paid very well in South Africa. Um, but what, what would your advice be for, for young players, especially now working you know, on the agent side of things and, and seeing all these things that you do? What advice are for your, your, to, what is your advice to, to young players that, that want to go and play in Europe? So for, for players wanting to, to come abroad, I think they initially have to understand that there's a lot of sacrifice. A lot of sacrifice needs to be made because everyone your age who plays football wants to do what you do and wants to go play for this team, but there's only a limited, a limited amount of places available at, at European clubs. So you have to be the best of the best. You have to be the best in your country, one of the best for you to get recognised. To go aboard, but mentality and discipline is huge, huge factors. You know, your ability is maybe 50% of what makes it. The rest is your discipline, your nutrition and your, your mentality. You know, how resilient are you? Can you make the sacrifices? Your friends are, you know, you're, you're in your teenage years. Your friends are going out on a Friday. Do you have the, the strength to say no because you've got a game coming up? So you need to rest to recuperate, be prepared for that game. Can you go move abroad, live away from your family, live away from your comfort zone? They might speak a language you've never heard of. It's going to be cold. 
there's a lot of challenges. But then coming on to the point of age, I think this is where South Africa sort of lacks behind, especially if you you compare us to to the other nations, which I suppose you have to do if you're looking at it on a, on a continental level. Yeah, you take um, Nigeria for example. I think that's the the easiest one to use. They have a player who transferred for seventy million euros in Victor Osimhen to Napoli, and you think, wow, like when is South Africa going to be on that level? They have regular players in the Premier League doing well, and Wilfred Ndidi. They have a player in the Liga, Samuel Chukwueze. So Nigeria, the West African countries, sort of set the benchmark for us. But there's a common denominator for me, and there's it's even a common point if you look at our the players, the South African players who have played in the Premier League, your Benny McCarthy's, your Stephen Pinos. What age did they come to Europe? Yeah, they came to Europe, you know, at a young age. They didn't come when they were 24, 25. They came when they were young. And the best thing to do is for our players to come across before they're 21, because when they, you know, as early as possible, they're in a good development window. So they can come, they can make mistakes, but they can learn. They can learn to adapt to European football, to the pressures um, of the game, because the tempo is, is so much higher, so much higher on, on, on a European level. You know, your time on the board is very, very limited. So players have to work. They have to understand new systems. And it's also getting out their comfort zone to really, really stress yourself. And, and a player who who play, he didn't play in the Premier League, but he did very, very well at, at Brentford. And his time in the Netherlands was Kamahela Mokocho. And I remember going to speak to him after Brentford games and watching him. You know, the fans loved him. Mm. And that's a player that sort of um, encompasses. He should be the, the model because I think he left home at 11 so can you imagine being 11 and moving away from your family? I think he went to, to Super Sports Academy. So that's that's already a hard time. And then I'm not sure what age it was. Him and Kermit Erasmus moved to, to Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Yeah. That's a huge jump. That's not easy. But, you know, being a footballer is not easy. You have to make the sacrifices. If you have the ability and you have the talent, great. That's a huge help. But it's only half the task and half the job. So... You have to put your head down. You have to work. And I think with South African players, that's my passion point. And I'd love to see more of us um, in the top five leagues. I think the players in Portugal, maybe that's for a separate podcast, they are doing very, very well. And they are in a great stepping stone country in Portugal. Luther Singh moved over to second. He was playing for Stars of Africa. And he moved over to a second division team in Sweden. No one really heard of him because it's not as glamorous. He did really well there, got a move to Braga in Portugal, and he's had various loans uh, across the Portuguese first division, doing really well. But again, he came at a young age. He played in Sweden. It's cold. It's a different play style. You know, that that whole getting used to European football, living away from home. So when a player comes to Europe at 24, we think, great, that's great. But then everything suddenly shifted. And there's a ceiling when you're a player Say you play till being generous, 35. Yeah. You're suddenly closer to that. So if we look at Percy Tao, who don't get me wrong, he's a fantastic, fantastic footballer and he has the mentality, but he came to Europe a bit too late, I personally think, because now he's suddenly getting used to the Premier League. When he adapts, it's going to take him maybe a season to adapt if he's still there. Who knows, Brighton may decide... He's not for them because they have uh, Alexis McAllister and, and Trossard who are younger than him. They might shift him 
shift him off. But he could he's going to have a great career in Europe. Don't get me wrong. He's a fantastic player. But it begs the question of if he came abroad younger, you know, and even if he went to, to second division Belgium at a younger age, what he'd be doing now would be just just incredible to see. Uh, and I think that's the the key thing, the age. And maybe the clubs are a bit reluctant to release players because they feel maybe if they keep them, the Slavkin clubs keep them on a bit longer, they can sell them for more money, which as we've seen in previous years, isn't the case. But I also think that it's it's kind of a a weird situation because the PSL in Africa is commercially strong. Yeah. So that, uh, the PSL and Egypt is probably the best leagues on the continent. Uh, they have a lot of commercial success. So the salaries are higher. So it's easier for a player in, in say, South Africa. This is just the, the the consensus. Maybe he's he's come from a difficult background, which a lot of players in South America and the rest of Africa, they always come from, from difficult backgrounds as well. They really, really, their why, their passion, their purpose is so, so strong that they have to make it as a footballer. This is their mentality to take their family out of that situation. And in South Africa, it's easier to achieve that level because the salaries in the PSL is so high. Um, you know, you can be a well-paid player, live a comfortable life playing playing in South Africa. And, and that's great if that's what you want. Like nothing against that. That's That's fantastic because you take care of yourself and you take care of your family. But if you want to come abroad, you have to make that sacrifice, make that struggle, and that's why I don't know if hunger or desire is the right word, but West African players, why there's more of them in Europe because their domestic leagues aren't as strong. So they have to get out. They have to go. They'll go playing in Slovakia and Croatia and Czech Republic. There's also this sort of sliding uh, scale. When you're a young player, maybe 70% has to be focused on game time uh, and the rest has to be focused on money. And then as that shifts, you know, as you get to your mid-career, it's maybe... 50-50 and then to the latter stages of your career, you're less focused on game time and you're more focused on your financial remuneration to take care of yourself long-term. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. you have to be prepared to to even earn little to nothing, you know, just to get your, your foot in the door, so to speak, um, to really, really make it happen. And I think just to kind of close off, we know that there's talent in South Africa, right? You've seen it. I've seen it. People have seen it. We've had a Champions League winner before. Let's not forget that. We've had a player who was a stalwart at his club in Stephen Pinar as well, who was huge, hugely important for that Everton side. We have we have talent in the country, but there's less eyes on the country now because European clubs, you have to put yourself in their perspective. They can go get players from, from Ghana, from Senegal, from Mali, who maybe they feel their players have a better mentality. But if we open our doors to them, if we start sending more players abroad at an earlier age, other clubs will stand up and take notice and be like, wow, there's a lot of talent here. Gift Links, Gift Links, for example, he's doing really well in Denmark. That's good because then people know that there is still that talent. Lyle Foster, he's doing all right. He's, he's maybe hit a, a bit of a bump, but he's still a good player. There's a great player inside there. So, but these are still small scale numbers if you compare them to the rest of Africa. So, I think as a whole, we need to send them abroad, but then it's, it's sort of balancing the interest again of the PSL. Does it want to be an, an export league? Um, Safa obviously wants to have the best players as well, but ultimately it all kind of couples into each other that 
you know, what are the objectives? If our objectives are as a national team to compete on a continental and an international level, our players have to be playing and training with the best players in the best leagues. And, and you know, as it is at the moment, that's in Europe. So the earlier players can come, get used to football, acclimatise themselves, go through their difficulties, go through that struggle. Yeah. You know, be in a situation of discomfort. You know, maybe you're not earning great and you're freezing cold because you're, I don't know, somewhere in Eastern Europe. But, you know, the club's paying for, for, your, for your room. They're paying for your, for, your, for your food. You're not earning great. You know, you're not going to buy your dream car or build a big house just yet. But if you hang in there and if you do well, you just put your head down and it's football, football, football. You have the mentality, you have the desire, all the key skills and disciplines. You know, that's putting aside your, your technical ability. Then you know that, right, you're going from here, you're going to make it into Belgium because there's more eyes on the Belgium league or, or even the Danish league, for example. There's more eyes on that. And that's how getting your eyes on you, that's how you end up in the, the Premier League. One case sort of just to kind of add an example to that is Marvelous Nkamba. Yeah. You know, a Zimbabwean player. He played, I'm not sure where his first destination was, but I know he went to Vitesse in Netherlands as well. We went to Belgium, to Club Rouge, boom, Aston Villa, Villa. Premier League. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's a perfect way to end off, uh, Braden. I really appreciate your time and, and insight. It's been really interesting to hear from you. And uh, for those listening to the podcast, where can they catch your work and where can they keep eyes on on you going forward? Um, so I'm I'm quite active on my my Instagram. Um, Braden Proctor's quite straightforward to to find. I uh, do a lot of work there, um, and yeah, I have strong strong affiliations to to South Africa. That's my passion point. Even though there's, you know, people always tell me, oh, there's more opportunities to work with, you know, work with English or Spanish players. No, South African and Africa as a whole. That's my passion. That's my point. That's what I want to develop long term. I feel like that's my purpose. So sorry if I've gone off on a bit of a tangent here, um, you know, but uh, if someone offers me the opportunity to talk about South African football and development, I'm going to I'm going to take it. So really grateful um, for you, AB, and for your listeners for having me on. And um, yeah, I would love to do it again. Cool. Thanks, Braden. Thanks for the kind words and, and all the best going forward. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Disky Discussions. If you have any questions or guests you'd like me to have on the show, please hit me up at AB underscore Basson on Twitter or on Instagram. Stay safe, like, subscribe, aware.